Welcome to Entrust Engage, an open forum for the most innovative leaders in security technology. I'm Samantha Maybe, and I'm your host. Today's episode continues our conversation around post-quantum, but we'll be putting particular focus on the quantum computers themselves. And with that, I'm excited to introduce our guest today, who's Richard Moulds, General Manager of Amazon Bracket, which is the quantum computing service of AWS. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, Samantha, it's a great pleasure to be here. Fascinating awesome. subject. <laughs> <laughs> it is, for sure. Lots of attention around it, too. So. Yeah. So we've been talking about the topic of post-quantum in this series so far. And of course, for us having a digital security focus, a lot of what we've been discussing is the point in time where there will be a quantum computer that's powerful enough to break cryptography as we know it today. So of course, the general consensus is that that's still roughly a decade or so away, but we also know that quantum computers do already exist. So to get started, I'd love to hear from you, maybe do a bit of a level set on what the current state of quantum computers is, and maybe some insights into what the next few years might look like. Yeah, sure, happy to. I mean, as you say, there's, uh, there's a lot of excitement around the technology. You know, you read any, any technology publication these days, um, you know, a lot of speculation about when quantum will be useful, when it be real, you know, and where it might impact. You talk about the, the threat to cryptography, uh, which is real. I mean, that's a known use case for quantum computers. Um, of course, we hope there are a lot more beneficial use cases for quantum computing, and and ultimately that it might, uh, you know, benefit mankind on lots of different fronts. I mean, it has the potential to be a truly disruptive technology that could one day solve problems that are just intractable using a regular, we call them classical computers. Um, but as you say, it's still some way away. Um, the industry is is growing really quickly, but it's very much in discovery mode. Uh, it turns out it's really hard to build a quantum computer. You know, these things work at the, the level of atomic physics. You know, to build them, you're fighting nature pretty much at every step of the way. And, uh, uh, and, it, and it's hard. Um, still, this is not an engineering project. This is still a research project. Um, but they, as you say, they do exist. You know, they work. They give the right answer to problems when you submit questions to them. Um, but they're still not at the point where they can deliver a commercial speed up relative to traditional computers. You know, there's no no production advantage, if you like, to running a quantum computer right now. Um, there's lots of different ways you can build them, whether you are using superconducting circuits or atoms or ions or photons. So lots of different ways. Um, and there are trade-offs between each of those different technologies. Some are fast, some are slow, some are more accurate, some less accurate. Um, some do different different types of calculations. Uh, and I think the industry in general is trying to figure out, you know, which of those performance characteristics are most important and which type of technology might be best suited to particular use cases. Um, so a lot of discovery mode um, in the next few years. You know, really the focus is on scaling these computers, making them able to handle bigger problems than the relatively small problems they can handle today. Um, but really the fundamental stepping stone is, is about quality. You know, these computers uh, are extremely sensitive devices. They're extremely sensitive to noise and that can create errors. Uh, and those errors can make can be a severe limitation in what you can use these computers for. So much of the industry right now is focused on making better quality qubits. You know, qubit is the processing element of a quantum computer. And, um, and with that performance in quality, we can uh, hopefully boost the scale of these systems, tackle bigger problems and deliver more accurate results. 
Okay. So although the evolution of creating quantum computers is still sort of ongoing, what are some of the primary uses for quantum computers today? You know, to be honest, the applications for quantum computers as they exist right now is really to learn about quantum computing <laughs> and figure out how to build better quantum computers. You know, we're, okay. as I say, we're still figuring out, you know, really thorny topics like scalability and error correction. So we can use today's hardware to try and advance that work. And, you know, many of the people that use our service in AWS are researchers focused almost entirely on how to build better machines rather than necessarily how to use them today. Um, but you know, obviously we have to plan for the future. So discovering what applications are most relevant, identifying what types of algorithms might be the most productive, you know, is is you know, clearly a very hot area of research. But but today the use cases are really about getting ready for the future and uh, and building better machines. But we do know, you know, we know we talked about cryptography, for example. We know there are specific use cases where. Uh, quantum computers, when they reach a, the appropriate level of performance, will offer a speed up. Um, for example, in the sphere of modeling molecular systems. So it makes sense to use the quantum computer to model quantum systems, you know, figuring out how chemical reactions work better, figuring out how you know, things like catalysts might be more efficient, figuring out better ways of, of improving the dynamics of materials, figuring out you know, better ways of delivering um, against problems like drug discovery, for example. So, you know, if we could find ways of simulating atomic systems, you know, essentially creating digital twins for how molecules work, you know, how polymers work, how reactions happen, then that could have an enormous benefit across obviously many, many industries. Uh, but we also think there are benefits in using quantum computers for decision making, you know, in areas like uh, machine learning uh, and, and optimization. So there are a lot of mathematical problems out there that scale really badly and you know, i'm sure many of the listeners to this podcast have, have, have you know familiar with problems like you know we call it there's a set of problems called the traveling salesman problem where you, you know if you try and deliver lots of packages to lots of places they're rap they're, there's a rapidly increasing number of combinations of how you might do that same for routing taxis around a city or network packets around you know an optical fiber system so decision making optimizing systems is a big challenge and we think that quantum computing will help in those areas. You know, a good example, um, just at the end of last year, BMW put out a, um, a public challenge uh, and they posted four use cases that they think you know, are most relevant to their, uh, to their industry. So obviously building better cars. Um, and, and those use cases sort of spanned that whole range. There were use cases that focused on materials development, use cases that focused on um, using machine learning for better quality assurance in the manufacturing process and uh, and using quantum computers for um, for optimizing the the use of resources in developing new vehicles so you know it's sort of, I think it starts with modeling molecular systems and materials development chemistry that type of stuff mm -hmm. and then evolving into decision making optimization and, and machine learning mm -hmm. That's interesting. Saying BMW, that's an industry or a company I haven't heard of, you know, sort of leveraging or thinking about quantum computers that way. But of course, it's just going to become more popular. Um, so I guess, you know, you've talked about a lot about how quantum computing, like right now, it's being used primarily for research. So do you find like who is using quantum computers today? What does current adoption look like? Is that changing, becoming more popular? I assume there's a lot of academics or large companies. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, quantum computing has been in the research phase for, for a couple of decades now. So not surprisingly, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a you know, popular set of users on the service. Um, mm -hmm. 
but also educators. You know, there's a problem in this industry that there's just not that many people that understand quantum computing and how to program them and how to build them. And uh, and as the machinery itself gets more powerful, clearly, you know, there's a general requirement to build up a broader community of quantum experts, you know, mm-hmm. both within corporations and within, you know, manufacturing community. Um, so a lot of educators, uh, universities in particular, are starting up quantum computing courses at various different levels. Um, there are a lot of specialist uh, algorithm developers out there. You know, it's easy to focus a little bit on the hardware, um, but there's a there's a real gap to be filled in bridging the distance between a quantum computing hardware manufacturer and, for example, somebody building in you know, optimization tooling or, or chemical engineering tooling and material science tooling. So a lot of algorithmic experts out there, so small quantum expert companies um, that are you know, researching algorithms and uh, engaging customers, running proofs of concept. So that community is very strong and growing quite quickly. And then, of course, you know, corporate users themselves uh, that are trying to get ready, you know, as we talked about in the context of BMW, get ready for quantum, build up in-house expertise, you know, establish small quantum teams, centers of excellence to try and understand the technology. You know, and then, of course, just lots of people that are really interested, everything from high school students to you know, physics undergrads, you know, anybody that uh, just has an interest in the field, traditionally, it's been very difficult to get your hands on one of these machines and actually program a quantum computer, you know, by making it available on the cloud. Obviously, we've tried to make that easy. Absolutely. Yeah, that would make it a lot more accessible for anybody who's interested in just sort of, you know, poking around or learning more. Right. We, we use the phrase democratizing quantum computing. You know, <laughs> you don't you don't need to necessarily be friends with a physicist to get access to one of these machines anymore. So, uh, you know, it's a cloud service. Anybody can use it. That's the premise of the cloud. You know, you it's on demand. You just sign up. You know, if you're an AWS customer, then you can you can just use the service and just, you know, you pay for whatever resources you use. Mm hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, even just the conversation around quantum computing, right? It's it's opening up to a broader audience. People are just interested in so many different future opportunities. So that's right. But it's all about getting the right expectations, I think, and and mm-hmm. giving people a you know a, a an on ramp, if you like, to the technology that's as that's as painless as possible and doesn't you know doesn't require a huge upfront commitment. Absolutely. So a little bit more of a long-term prediction. You might have to get your crystal ball out for this one. Um, but I'm just curious, where do you see the future of quantum computers going as far as commercialization and sort of mass adoption of the, the technology? Yeah, I mean, in the end, of course, we, you know, we hope and, uh, and expect that a quantum computer becomes just another compute resource you know, in the cloud that customers can choose. You know, if you look on AWS, there's... You know, dozens and dozens of different types of of CPU available. You know, dozens of, of GPUs available. You know, no reason why there couldn't be QPUs available in that mix as well. Um, you know, it, it's very important to 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 think about how we'll consume quantum computers. In some ways, calling them a quantum computer is you know is is poor naming on behalf of the industry. You know, these are these are not replacement devices for, for regular classical computers. Sometimes people you know, joke about sort of quantum laptops and quantum smartwatches and quantum iPhones and goodness knows what. You know, none of that is, is real. You know, quantum computers are really quantum coprocessors. They do you know, a certain sort of mathematics very well, we think, in the same way that crypto coprocessors, you know, something out of your industry, you know, does a certain set of mathematical problems and calculations really well, much better than a CPU can. 
but you know you don't see a crypto coprocessor as, as a crypto computer that might one day replace a regular computer and the same is true for quantum computers they're really coprocessors they'll always exist you know as a, alongside large chunks of classical compute resource you know quantum computers will always be relatively expensive i think and relatively scarce compared to classical you know chip based computers and um so customers should always see it in that context so you know never think of quantum computing as being something that exists in isolation it's always part of a broader compute fabric you know and so you think about the future um yes it'll be a compute option if you like as you think about assembling the infrastructure to go solve hard problems mm -hmm. so i think you know the communities that we're focused on you know the folks that are pushing the limits of classical computers today you know we talked about some of the problems earlier that scale really badly as the problems get larger like for example simulating um, molecular systems or optimization problems so the customers that face those problems day in day out you know customers like bmw you know are you know are in the are in the cloud right now and they like the cloud because it's elastic you know they can they can leverage tons of classical compute resource pretty much on demand to solve these big computational problems those are the sorts of customers that one day we think quantum computers will uh, enable them to stretch their thinking, you know, solve harder problems, solve hard problems more quickly, you know, and hopefully more, more cheaply. So uh, that's why it makes, I think, cloud is the, is the right place to think about quantum computing, because that's where these hard problems are being solved right now, just because of the, you know, the on-demand elastic nature of compute resources in the cloud. And we see quantum computers uh, one day complementing that range of compute resources. Mm -hmm. Well, there's already a lot of benefits today with classical computers and IT infrastructures and in, in moving and migrating to the cloud. So it just makes sense that that would be, you know, a right. convenient place to access this kind of technology. So challenge is delivering in a way that doesn't require everybody to be a quantum physicist. To yeah. right? I mean, today, if you want to program a quantum computer, you sort of need to know how it works. Um, mm -hmm. That's OK for now because we're in discovery mode. Um, but in the future, you know, when we think about customers using, you know, a quantum processor unit, a QPU, in the same way they might use a GPU, um, they don't need to understand how it works. They shouldn't really need to understand anything about physics. So that there's a real opportunity, I think, to build that tooling and to mm -hmm. try and make a bridge between, you know, the physical hardware and the use cases that uh, that these types of customers are likely to have. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know that we won't be doing away with classical computers as we know it. Rather, this will be, it sounds like, just more of a complement and more specialized for, you know, different organizations as opposed to the consumer level. So Right. You're not going to be streaming video through your quantum computer. You know, you're not going to be running spreadsheets on your quantum computer, rendering, I... you know, rendering animations. That's not what they're for. They do yeah. certain, they solve certain sort of mathematical problems. Uh, we think very well, and, uh, and you know, and, and people will use them for what they're what they're best at, frankly. And they'll use cheaper resources, more available resources for for the bulk of the rest of their work. So I won't hold my breath for the quantum iWatch. <laughs> I wouldn't. No, no, All right. no, yeah. no. These things are uh, some of these quantum computers. You know, run at tiny fractions of one degree Kelvin. So they're colder than outer space. So I'm not sure you want to be carrying that. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound great. I mean, I'm Canadian, but probably still not a good idea. <laughs> All right. Uh, so going back to the primary uses of quantum computers today, um, again, we know 
that quantum computers will unlock some opportunities for things like medical research. Um, you know, you gave your BMW example. Are there any interesting or notable achievements that you've seen today? I know, you know, Google talked about um, being able, their computer being able to achieve calculations that were more than 3 million times faster than what can be done on the world's fastest computer. There are more examples similar to that. So you have to be really careful. So yes, yeah, so there have been a couple of claims of what's called quantum supremacy, mm -hmm. which is an unfortunate term, I think, but nonetheless, it's out there um, over the last few years, as you mentioned. Um, but that doesn't mean a quantum computer is useful. Um, these experiments, these demonstrations of where a quantum computer has done something that is either impossible or, or just very expensive on a regular classical computer, even a classical supercomputer, you know, but these aren't useful problems. These are essentially synthetic problems that have been created that are as it solved as easily as possible on a quantum computer and solvable as hard as possible on a classical computer. So it proves the point in a sense that quantum computing Quantum computers can be special, that they can do things that are intractable or, or impractical, at least on a, on a classical computer. So we've crossed that milestone. So what, there was an important milestone, um, but it's only the first step in the road because the, the problems that, you know, that, were, that were part of those supremacy calculations are not useful problems. You know, essentially, they were, they were randomly generated problems. Uh, so they don't they don't play into any use case that that any real customer might actually have. The next big step down the road is what we call quantum advantage, which is where we we demonstrate you know a real speed up in terms of performance for a problem that somebody actually cares about, something that's actually useful and ties mm -hmm. into a real into a real use case. So we are not yet at that point. You know there have not been any demonstrations of quantum advantage only quantum supremacy. So quantum supremacy is synthetic. Interesting, but synthetic and not very useful. Quantum advantage is when these machines become useful at something that, that somebody cares about. Um, so we're not there yet. So whether that's you know a couple of years away, whether it's five years away, you know, yeah. we really don't know. You know, that's what the industry is working towards now. So you know when you see when you see examples and news stories of uh, you know a quantum machine being used to you know route taxis or you know, direct buses around a city or, you know, plan some operation in a production line, for example. You see these periodically at conferences. You know, they're not arguing that the quantum computer is faster. They're just arguing that the quantum computer came to the right answer, which hmm. is important, you know, yeah. and sort of sort of a sort of table stakes for computation. Um, so, you know, we're demonstrating that these machines work, which is yeah. most important, and that they can be applied to to regular everyday problems you know what we've not seen yet is a demonstration that they actually deliver any sort of operational advantage that's the next step um and that's still i think some years away yeah i think that's great quantum advantage i think that's important to make that distinction so appreciate mm -hmm. you sort of outlining that um so linking back to the beginning of the episode um you know sort of talking about how you know at least from that digital security lens um, we discussed that point in time where there will be a quantum computer powerful enough to break cryptography. 
as we know it, you know, those headlines and concerns around the threats of that quantum computing will bring. Is this something that you see? Obviously, you get a lot of researchers, a lot of people poking around and interest in quantum computers. Is this something you see um, as well, customers just having having these concerns? And if so, um, what sort of recommendations do you make? What can people do today um, to prepare for that? So yeah, I mean, of course, it's a, it is a, it is a huge concern, and, and it's a real concern. We know we know that quantum computers, there are algorithms that have been established already that that will help in the factorization problem. Um, you know, it's a matter of scale. So you know, to 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 crack, for example, and you know, an RSA two thousand bit RSA key needs needs tens of millions of qubits um, that are at quality levels, you know, many orders of magnitude higher than the current quality of qubits in current quantum computers. And remember, the current quantum computers are typically, you know, anywhere between 10 and 100 qubits. So we are five or six orders of magnitude away in terms of scale and five or six orders of magnitude away in terms of quality. You know, mm -hmm. both of those problems are hard and doing them both and solving them both at the same time is even harder. So we're, we're a long way away from machines that can routinely break today's crypto. Um, but as we know, it takes a long time to introduce new crypto algorithms. It takes a long time just to prove that they're safe. Never mm -hmm. mind that is if you deploy them into you know into into routers and software and you know and goodness knows where else cryptography is used. It's, you know, it's sort of everywhere. So thinking about how to address the uh, the arrival of sufficiently powerful quantum computers is something we should certainly do right now. You know, and obviously there are a lot of initiatives underway to come up with either software algorithms that we think are uh, immune from attack by quantum computers, so sort of post-quantum software. Uh, mm -hmm. there's a, you know, there are competitions and the you know, standardization processes that are happening right now to try and find those algorithms. Uh, AWS is heavily involved in that process. We've deployed example algorithms you know, on our own uh, externally facing networks to try to get some experience about how these algorithms actually work. Um, so that, that standardization process is interesting. You know, obviously there are also mm -hmm. techniques that actually use quantum mechanics to try to deliver quantum safe systems. You know, they're being explored in various different industries as well. So yeah, it's a real threat. And uh, and given the time scale to roll out new crypto systems, you know, we should be very focused on that now. And gladly, you know, or thankfully rather, you know, lots of industries really are, and there's some really promising approaches. But uh, you know, um, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a, it's it's going to be a long battle to uh, to to prove and deploy true quantum safe systems. We have time, but we need to uh, we need to crack on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we've experienced similar things. I mean, even SHA one to SHA two migration, right? That took a lot longer than people expected. We've brought that up a, a few times, um, and this is just you know sort of worlds apart from that as far as how long it's going to take. So that's definitely something we hone in on too. Just sort of seeing the time to start thinking about this and looking at it is now, so. Right, I mean, just think of the the time it took to uh, to approve even just AES, mm -hmm. you know, was, was a decade or so, you know, and that was solving classical problems, you know, using that we could test with classical systems, you know, building a quantum safe algorithm. We are trying to test it obviously against a, class, a quantum computer that doesn't exist yet, in, at least at that level of scale. So building something that's robust against something we actually can't test against you know, it's pretty tricky. And of course, any quantum system also has to be classically safe as well. So, you know, it's a pretty hard problem to solve. Um, but there, uh, 
there's real progress, I think, in terms of standardization and mm -hmm. um, you know real world implementations that are being tested right now. So I think we're off to a decent start. Um, but we just got to keep focused and, and take it seriously. And, you know, obviously uh, customers should be tracking the evolution of these standards and, and, and you know, stay tuned. <laughs> Pay yes. attention. This is real. And, uh, yeah. you know, and we, need to, we need to make sure that we're moving forward as a, as a community. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm very hopeful in the fact that, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it as well. There's just an uptick in general of people who are interested in this and definitely starting to look at it now so that's a that's promising for sure yeah yeah i mean it's, you know which is which is again which is the reason why we you know we launched the service it's uh, mm -hmm. you know one of the ways you can you can try and understand the threat the security threat um you know is to understand the trajectory that current systems are actually on and uh, the only way to do that in, in many cases is to roll up your sleeves and go test it so we're yeah. trying to make it easy to do that, um, you know, and obviously at the same time to uh, to plan forward for, um, you know, for how, you know, you know, we as a service provider and the applications that, that all of our customers build on our platform, you know, mm -hmm. will be protected against it, which is why we, it was so critical that AWS was part of the, the development process for, for, for quantum safe systems. Yeah. And it's... Actually, a pretty uh, perfect little takeaway and note to leave our, our listeners with today. So this was great. Thank you again so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're most welcome. It's a great pleasure. So that's it for today's podcast. Uh, please keep up with new episodes by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and using the links in the episode description. Thanks for listening to Entrust Engage. Engage.